You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. Easter is just uh, a little bit sweeter this year after uh, the last 12 months of a topsy-turvy world that we've experienced. Uh, and I believe that Easter is as important right now as it has ever been, maybe even more important because for many of us, I don't know about for you, but certainly for me, the last year has tended to stir up all of our greatest fears, right? I and mean, we've been asking the question, is everything going to be all right? Does God, does he care about me? Does God care about my family? Can I, can I actually hope for a better future? Uh, Proverbs says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, maybe you're a little bit heart sick today because your hope has been put in question over what we have walked through. And here's the thing. The day that Jesus died, hope died. Uh, there's a man that we read about in the Old Testament who uh, for the span, uh, within the span rather of 24 hours, uh, he lost almost everything in his life. He lost his kids, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, everything that he had. Um, it was gone. And you might call him an expert, I think I would, about having hope die. Uh, this is what he said. My hope has been uprooted like a tree. Uh, one of the saddest things for me, one of the saddest pictures is when I drive by an, an orchard that has been ripped, ripped up, ripped out of the ground. Uh, what was formerly alive and thriving now lies torn from the ground. The very root system that kept the trees anchored there in the earth is now exposed and open to the air. And because of that, the tree dies. And when your hope dies, it's really like you have been ripped out of the ground. All, all the things that formerly made sense, all the life-giving systems are suddenly cut off. Uh, it's a type of living death as you witness your dreams come crashing to the ground. I know what that's like. Uh, I have received the phone call late at night with the news. Uh, I've heard the doctor's bad news and wondered if it meant the end. I, I remember staring, uh, my wife and I, staring at the broken body of my seven-year-old son who had had a massive stroke. And I watched them wedge his little body into that MRI machine as the doctors scrambled to understand what had happened. Here, here this perfect, athletic, gifted little boy could now no longer move half of his body. He couldn't, he couldn't speak. He couldn't move even the muscles in his face. My wife sat there at his bedside for days and wondered, what could we hope for? Would he live? If he, if he did, what kind of life would it be? Maybe you've gone through a nasty divorce and wondered, can I dare hope for a better marriage in the future? Maybe, you know, your relationship with your kids or maybe with your parents for that matter has been strained or even broken and you wonder, can, can you hope for something to be restored? What's possible here? Maybe you've invested everything that you had in a business, gave your heart and soul to a job, to an employer, and it all went belly up. And, you have nothing, at least you feel like you have nothing to show for it. And you wonder now, right, can I ever hope to dig myself out of this financial pit that I find myself in? Maybe, maybe this last year has left you feeling like you've been ripped up out of the ground, thrown to the side. You've been 
yelled at, sidelined, ignored, or put on blast in a way that has left you wondering about whether or not you can hope again for true, honest, loving relationships? Can you hope for something better in this world? You started to doubt, maybe. Uh, you doubt whether you can trust, whether it's possible to hope for anything more than just getting through today. I mean, maybe for you, life itself has left you, um, it left you hopeless. Uh, I mean, if there, there is no God, then life has no larger meaning. You know, our very accident, our very existence is an accident, right? We are adrift on this small blue planet among many billions of planets. Who lives? Who dies? Who suffers? Who wins? Who loses? Who celebrates? Who mourns? It's all pointless, right? There's no underlying meaning, no reason to any of it. Talk about hopeless. I don't know where you're at today, but chances are hope is a challenge for you. Uh, you might feel like you've heard everything I'm about to say before, right? You might uh, have heard Easter messages before, and you've lost hope in faith a long time ago. If any of that describes you today, right, I just want to challenge you. Stick with me just for a few minutes, because I believe Easter is all about hope. But the truth is, before it was filled with hope, it was filled with hopelessness. And that is exactly why Easter is so important. You see, on that morning, on that Sunday, more than 2,000 years ago, there was no one standing outside Jesus' tomb at sunrise counting down to resurrection. As a matter of fact, it was just the opposite, right? On Sunday morning, there were no Christians because there was no Christ. Uh, they had watched him take his last breath on the cross, and they had witnessed the life go right out of him and saw his body hanging there dead. And on Sunday morning, all that, left, all that was left was you know, a broken-hearted mother, uh, some disappointed fishermen huddled in hiding, a few women who were preparing to uh, to express their final care to the body of a man who they thought could have been the Messiah. But at that point, no one was planning to keep the dream alive or a movement moving because Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be. You have to, you have to remember that Jesus wasn't, he wasn't a martyr for a cause like some other great martyrs who have given themselves to a great idea, right? He didn't die in the name of abolishing a social evil. He didn't die uh, for the cause of the Jewish state. He didn't die for an idea. Jesus' teaching was not the driving force of his movement. That's, that's important to, to remember. What he said wasn't really the, what, what kept everything going. It was the outrageous claims that Jesus made about himself. It wasn't all his miracles, it wasn't all his parables. See, the disciples, they didn't follow Jesus because of what he had done or just what he had said. They followed him because of who they believed he was. Right? And, and boy, did Jesus make some claims about himself, right? I mean, he claimed to have the power to forgive sin. Only God can have the power to forgive sin. He said he was greater than the temple, right? And if you're a Jewish person, that is 
unimaginable. He said he was greater than Moses, the greatest of all, greater than Abraham, greater than the prophets. Only God could be a person that could say any of those things. And, but it really, when he started calling himself, there was a day that he said, I am the bread of life. <laughs> things got ugly that day. Uh, I mean, not only did he say that he had come down from heaven, uh, which many rejected it just outright because they, they knew exactly where he had come from. He had come from Nazareth. They were familiar with him. They knew his family. But he didn't stop there. He, he, he really started talking crazy. We find it in John chapter 6. Uh, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Boy, that, that shocked them just, just a little bit. Right? I mean, what is this guy talking about? I mean, now we're talking about cannibalism. It was a little, a little overwhelming. And the response was immediate. Well, we find it a few verses later. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. What he had said was so stark the people just immediately, they began to hit the unfollow button, <laughs> block, please, right? And Jesus sees the crowd thinning out, and so did his disciples. And he turns to them, and he looks them in the eye, and he says, are you going to leave me as well? And Peter is the one that responds. He often was the spokesman for the entire group. And what Peter doesn't say is as... It's as informative as what he does say, right? Because what Peter doesn't say is, Jesus, hey, we, we've seen you feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. We've, we've seen you heal countless people. So yeah, today was a bad day. Maybe, maybe your teaching was just a little too edgy today. Maybe you went over the line, right? I mean, everybody, everybody has a rough day. Uh, don't worry, Jesus, you'll get back on track tomorrow. We, we believe in you. And that wasn't what he said at all, because it wasn't the miracles, it wasn't the teaching quality that kept Peter and the disciples right there with Jesus, even while the crowd was melting away. It was because of who they believed Jesus was. Now look at what Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God, or literally, you are the Messiah of God. So the, the one that God sent to save the nation of Israel, the one who had been prophesied about for a millennia, the one who would right every wrong for the Jewish nation, uh, he was the one that they believed had been sent from heaven. But now, now Jesus was dead and buried, right? And something Something must have been wrong. Jesus must have been wrong. They must have been wrong about who he was because you, you can't kill the bread of life, the Messiah. You, he couldn't be executed. God wouldn't allow that to happen. So clearly Jesus couldn't have been telling the truth about who he was. And so when he died on Friday, they expected him to do exactly what every dead person does. Stay dead. Uh, and this is where all of the original sources that come down to us, 
the, the, the sources from the people that were actually there, they're incredibly shocking because none of the accounts of those eyewitnesses, not one of them, write themselves into the story and say, I alone kept believing. Nobody says, I believed against all odds, or I kept the faith. I knew Jesus was alive. Not one of them. They all stopped believing. They all ran and hid. They all lost hope. The disciples scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And on that day, hope died. Because when Jesus died, hope died with him. There were no Christians celebrating sunrise at Easter because there was no Christ. And then something happened, right? Then something happened that changed everything. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. His, his buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on you. And the grave has no claim on me. And the lyrics of that great song, they, they say, on Easter, we don't celebrate a teaching. We celebrate an event. We celebrate something happened that created a movement. If you've lost your faith today, if you've lost your hope today, then I, I want to invite you once again to consider not a teaching, but an event and maybe you've never taken Christ's claim seriously, then I want to challenge you to listen closely. We don't worship a great teaching. We don't worship the Bible. Our faith is not a set of value systems spiced up with some spiritual practices. And if you've been turned off by any of those things, then I want to suggest to you, you might have been turned off by something that's actually not at all what it is about. Because the Christian faith is about an event. And the Bible didn't create Christianity. Christians didn't create Christianity because, remember, there were no Christians until the resurrection. It was the resurrection that created the Christian, fa the Christian faith. And that's why we celebrate today the resurrection. The, re the reason we know so much about the resurrection is because Matthew tells us about it. And Mark tells us about it. Ma Matthew was there, right? Mark got his information straight from the apostle Peter, who was right there. Uh, Luke tells us about it. Luke was a doctor, very analytically minded. And he tells us, I carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I've also decided to write an accurate account for you. Luke actually tells us, he says, man, there's a lot of people that wrote down histories. We know about the resurrection because the apostle John tells us about it. So does Peter, right? He gives us two letters in the New Testament. Of course, there's James. Uh, James is one of Jesus's brothers. Not, uh, not brothers in the sense of like, you're my brother because we're great friends, but brothers in the sense that Mary was Jesus's mom and James's mom too, right? And it was Josephus who was a Jewish historian, not a Christian at all. He's the one that tells us that James was murdered for preaching about Jesus 30 years after Jesus was crucified. Now, can I just ask you for a moment, first of all, what, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was sent down from heaven to save the world? 
And secondly, 30 years after your brother told you that, and maybe you were convinced for just half a second, 30 years somehow, you're going to continue to believe so much that you give your life for that belief. What explains that kind of conviction? There's, there's only one thing, resurrection. We don't celebrate today because Easter is a great church tradition. We celebrate today because Matthew and Mark, Luke and John and Peter and James and the Apostle Paul, right, who started out trying to destroy the church but ended up giving his life to it because all of them, all of those men tell us that the story of Jesus didn't end at the cross. They each tell us that he rose from the dead against all expectations, right? The only, the only reason that Jesus' story is worth telling was not his teaching and not his claims about himself. It certainly wasn't that he was crucified because tens of thousands of people were crucified under the Romans. The only reason that we still talk about Jesus today is because of the resurrection. Now, consider with me for a moment. If you, like the disciples, had watched Jesus die on the cross and then actually met him alive three days later, that might be a story that you would tell probably over and over again. And as it turns out, that's exactly what the Apostle Peter does. For 30 years after the resurrection, he would tell that story as he traveled around to villages and towns and visited Christians. And for 30 years, wherever he would go, right, they would ask him to tell them the story. Can, can you imagine? Peter comes into town. He's the guy that you've heard about. He was the one that was there with Jesus. He's coming into town. He's going to have dinner with you. He's going to be at the meeting. What are you going to ask him? Would you tell me the story? After 30 years, Peter ends up in, in Rome. He, he doesn't know it at the time, but it's, it's his last trip. It's his last journey. It's a Rome under, under the Emperor Nero, and, and, and he's there with Mark, his traveling companion for, who had traveled with him for a, for a number of years. And Mark had heard all the stories over and over again, right, as Peter told them from one village to the next. And, and there in Rome, Mark asked Peter to, to tell him one more time. And he begins to write down and document the story that we have today. And you see, I see the picture there. He, he, he just kind of says, you know, Peter, would, would you tell it? Would you tell it one more time? And go slow when you tell it. It's because of that moment right there that we have the gospel that we know as the gospel of Mark. And this is what he, what he writes. Joseph of Arimathea a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead, summoning the centurion, that's, that's the, the soldier that was in charge of Jesus' crucifixion. He asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body, as was customary to do 
very early on the first day of the week. See, they couldn't go before then because of the Sabbath, because it was against the law. But as soon as that sun got up, they ran out. Very early, it says, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, which is something I'm not sure I would have done, I might have peeked in, I probably wouldn't have gone in, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You, you might know what happens after that, right? The women go and they tell Peter, they tell the disciples. They go and they investigate. They find the empty tomb. They're, they're puzzled. They, they still are doubtful, right? They, remember, these are not superstitious men. And yet they go to Galilee, as Jesus had said they were to do. And it was there that they meet their risen Lord. They had breakfast on the beach with him. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, Peter would tell you, just as James and, and John and all the others would assure you that your faith, your compassion, your generosity, your loyalty, your love, your forgiveness, and most of all, your hope is not in vain. And, and if you're unconvinced right now, Peter would, would kind of lean in probably to you and say, you know what, I understand because I too, I too was unconvinced. I, I too lost faith, right? I was, I was at the back of the crowd when they took Jesus. I watched him die from afar. I knew he was dead, but then something that changed everything happened. Something happened that caused me to spend the rest of my life risking my life so that you could know that your Savior lives. Right? And he would say, and when I saw my resurrected rabbi, it was only then that I finally understood what he'd been saying all along, that the time has come, that God has done something for the world and in the world, that the kingdom of God has come near, which means it's so close that you're never far from it. And it was in that moment that I finally understood what it was all about. It was an invitation to repent and turn from my own way and to turn towards his direction and embrace him as king, to believe the good news. Peter would say to you today, God is for you and he wants you to receive the good news and accept his invitation to follow him. He's invited each one of us, every one of us, to participate in his kingdom. That's why I'm convinced that Easter today is as relevant as ever. Because if Jesus is alive, then hope is alive. If Jesus is alive, then he is who he said he is, and we can believe every single thing he told us. I just want to close with three things that Jesus told us and three invitations that I want to just kind of give to you an opportunity to respond to. The first is this, that Jesus told us 
that he loved each and every one of us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to invite you to receive the love of Christ today. The second thing that we can believe because Jesus is alive, and the second thing that Jesus said is that he tells us, he told us that he has opened the door and invited us in. Not only does he love us, but he's invited us into a relationship with him. Revelation 3.20 says this, Jesus speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I want to invite you to receive today Christ personally if you've never made that decision. Jesus would make that invitation to you. He doesn't invite you into a religion. He invites you into a relationship. He doesn't invite you into a set of rules that you have to follow. He invites you to be guided by his spirit who always knows what's best for you. The third thing that Jesus told us is that he told us that we have hope. Peter tells us this in, in his letter. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I want to invite you to, to hope again today. This world is full of many trials, many things we don't understand. There's brokenness and anger and hurt in every direction that you look. But Jesus offers us a hope that is beyond the brokenness. He can take our uprooted hope and plant it once again firmly in the ground. The book of Hebrews say, says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I want to challenge you, let Jesus repair your hope today because he's alive, he's at work. These are the three things that I want to invite you to respond to today. That you first receive his love, secondly, accept his invitation, and thirdly, trust in his hope. Wherever you are today, whether it's your first time and you've never received his love, never accepted his invitation, never trusted his hope, or, or whether you are today one who follows Christ, but perhaps your hope has been challenged, I just want to invite you to once again believe, to once again receive, to once again trust that today as we celebrate together, we can celebrate because we know something has happened that has changed everything. If you're ready, would you just bow your head and pray with me as, as we close? Lord, we do just take a moment to respond to what you said. Jesus, thank you that today you're alive, that you rose from the grave, and in doing so, you demonstrated that you are the King of kings. Thank you, Jesus, that you have said that you love us, that you love us so much that you are willing to come and give your life for us. And for all those today who are struggling with receiving your love, your acceptance, I just pray right now that they would be able to open themselves up to the love 
of Christ. Lord, for those who, who are today in that place of that crossroads where they've never received your invitation, or perhaps, Lord, they have walked away from you and want to come back once again to that open invitation that you have given us, that you want to dine with us, that you want to have a daily relationship with us. Lord, today, right now, I just ask that you would come and that you would save those who need your salvation. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of new hope and new life and new salvation for those who have never experienced your embrace before. Jesus, even as there is an acknowledgement that you are the King of Kings, a turning away from the past, a turning away from sin, a turning away from their own way, Lord, I just pray that you would right now seal and embrace my brothers and my sisters, in Jesus' name. And Lord, for all those who have lost hope, for all those, Lord, whose hope has been crushed and challenged and, and stepped on over this last season, for all the reasons, Lord, where we maybe have lost faith or lost trust in you, I just pray today as we extend ourselves, extend our hearts to you, as we open ourselves up once again to you, Lord, that you would be that anchor for our souls, that you would plant us once again firmly rooted in the ground of your life. Would you please bless today? Would you please open our hearts today? Would you please save us today? Would you please once again be the, the, the witness of resurrection life inside of us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. God bless you. I just want to say to you, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at caseyhamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.